Thank you. Can I move all these papers here? Is that all right? Morning, everyone. Good to see you all here. What a beautiful morning, isn't it? Saying to my wife, it's nearly as hot as when we lived in the hottest place in the world in Pakistan, in the province of Sindh, in South Pakistan. The Arabs have a saying, God created Sindh, what need is there of hell? So you'll gather how hot it was. Well, recently we moved house uh, closer to Edinburgh, and uh, part of the sale of our house uh, included all the white goods. So we had to buy lots of new equipment, which is interesting, exciting. And among the things we had to buy was a new washing machine and a new tumble dryer. Now, there are some people, you get new equipment, and immediately, some people, nearly always a lot younger than me, which is not difficult, um, who immediately go to the equipment and start using it. Uh, I'm not one of those sorts of people. I need to read the instruction booklet first and find out everything about it. So here's the instruction leaflet for our new Logic 8-kilogram heat pump tumble dryer. What's surprising, it was at least to me, is when you get it, it opens with a number of cautions and warnings. In fact, a large number of warnings and cautions. In fact, 53 warnings and cautions. <laughs> All sorts of commands, many beginning with the words, do not, and a warning sign. In fact, it's not until you reach... seven, eight. It's not until you reach page 11 that you learn anything about how to use the machine, <laughs> which is pretty frustrating. I mean, who writes these books? Why don't they start with the positive instead of the negative? Why do they start with, number one, check that the voltage marked on the rating label matches your mains voltage? Well, the answer is obvious, I think. If you use a different voltage, and I've never tried, it either won't work or it will ruin the tumble dryer. And then all the positives are irrelevant because the thing won't work. Now, what applies to tumble dryers also applies in every area of life. Negatives and positives belong together. Heed the warnings, enjoy the Benefits, the positives. Ignore the warnings and you suffer the consequences. Right back at the beginning of human history, we see this played out. Our first parents placed in a garden, beautiful, perfect, everything they needed. Just one warning. You can eat of anything, any tree in the garden, but there's one tree, don't Eat this tree, otherwise you will die. The warning is ignored, and the consequences follow for everyone who ever lived since then, for every one of us today. Thankfully, God who set this all up did not abandon his plan and his rescue project. And it culminates with him sending his son with good news 
preceded by a warning. Good news preceded by a warning. Jesus emerged at the age of 30 in Israel, and he had a simple message, repent and believe the good news. Repent, warning, stop doing what you're doing, going where you're going, change direction, positive, believe the good news. And it's, it was this same message of warning and promise that the followers of Jesus carried out following his death and resurrection. We've been following this account, as Squiz said, in the book of Acts. It's a book in the New Testament. The Bible's, just for those who are new, the Bible's got two halves. The Old Testament has got 39 books. The New Testament's got 27 books. And the New Testament begins with four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then it comes to Acts, which tells how the followers of Jesus carried out his instructions. We've called our series The Final Chapter of Human History. And we followed the travels of a key messenger named Paul and his group of friends. And we've reached in this story, and I hope you've got one of these blue Bibles in front of you. If you haven't, you sort of kind of reach around because it will help to have one in front of you and near to you. Um, if you've not got one, just, just raise your hand because there's more over on there. There's a load on there. Any, anyone need one who hasn't got one? I'm going to embarrass you all now. I'm assuming you're all okay. Okay, so um, we've been following this group of friends as they've traveled around the Roman Mediterranean world with this good news. Um, and we've reached the stage last week, if you we were here, when Ian, my son-in-law, was preaching, <laughs> we got to the stage uh, where they reached a town, a little town called Miletus on their journey. They're heading east towards Jerusalem, if you like geography and maps. Uh, and uh, they've reached the town of Miletus. And Paul, this leader, sends for the leaders of a church in the great city of Ephesus, which was kind of 30 miles north. And he, he doesn't want to go back there for various reasons. One reason, because of the trouble he had there. And he knows if getting in there might be more difficult than getting out. So he sends for these leaders and asks them to meet him at this town called Miletus. And he reminds them, notice what he reminds them, of the message that he preached. This was his message, Paul's message. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God, here it is again, in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so he is heading east towards Jerusalem. We saw last week that he knows he's facing hardship, trouble, suffering. But he's striving like a marathon runner to finish. He says, I want to finish the race, complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the news of God's grace. But before he leaves, after saying that, he now turns to these leaders and he has some last words to speak to them. He knows he will never see them again in this life. So imagine this scene. It's, it's a very serious moment. What, what, what was he going to say to them? What would you say in such a situation? Well, we're going to read on, and we'll discover that what he issues to these leaders are some final warnings. So if you've got the Bible open, it's page 111. Neat is going to come up. I'm looking at it over there. It'll take a little moment. 1117. And we're going to read, Nita's going to read for us Acts 20, verses 25 to 38. Where's the microphone? That's a very good question. I think this is, what, this is it. Or just shout, all right? There you go. Try that. Is it on? Just let me see. 
Yes. Am I on? Yes, I'm on. Okay. I have to confess to you that uh, as I was reading through this passage again this morning, I said to Peter, I'm not at all sure I'm going to be able to get through this reading without shedding tears because it is so incredibly sad at the end. So I, I hope you'll forgive me. I would encourage you to really uh, enter into this scene and to think about Paul's thoughts and feelings. Acts chapter 20, verses 25 to 38. Now I know that none of you, among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom, will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak Remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved the most was his statement that he would never see them again, see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. Well, I think Nietzsche has shown us how very moving and serious this moment is. Paul says, I know I'm never going to see any of you again. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching in the kingdom will ever see me again. Notice the words he uses. Look carefully at the words he uses. We've seen in this series how when Paul engages with people and tries to communicate the Christian message to them, uh, various words are used. He dialogues with them, he debates with them, he argues with them, he persuades them. But this is not because the message he proclaims is one for different opinions. That would be like saying, well, you prefer your voltage, I prefer mine. What does it matter? I may want to disagree with you, debate with you, dialogue with you, try to persuade you that you're wrong. That you need to follow the maker's instructions. So Paul says, I've spent my time preaching the kingdom. And the word used for preaching here isn't... I'm going to give you some Greek words, so don't be 
confused. I'll, I'll explain why it's not to show off or confuse you. The word he uses here is a word. It's called Caruso. It means the word of a herald proclaiming a message. And there's a noun from it. The, noun, the Greek noun is kerens, which is the word for a trumpet. He says, I've gone about proclaiming, declaring not my message, but the message of the king. And he says he's spent three years, notice how he summarizes his three years, warning you, announcing like a herald what the king tells him to say. Now he's discharged his responsibilities and he says, I'm innocent to the blood of anyone. I've declared the whole truth to you. I've done my bit. Now I'm handing on the baton. I'm passing on the trumpet to you to continue the work that I've been doing for the last three years. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. The word be on your guard is the word literally it means stay awake. It's the word used of a sentry on duty. Stay awake. The Greek word is Gregory, from which we get the word Gregory. If your name is Gregory, then you shouldn't be falling asleep at this point. <laughs> Stay awake. So look with me in detail, and he issues in this section, it's very simple this, he issues three linked warnings to them. All right? And we're going to look at them this morning. Three linked warnings. Here's the first one. Warning one, watch yourselves. Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves. What is it about themselves that they're to watch and be careful about? Well, in another letter, in a letter he wrote to a young colleague called Timothy, he, he spells it out a little more specifically. He says, watch your life and your doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What are they to watch? What are leaders to watch? What are all of us to watch? Two things very closely. Watch how you live and what you believe. And if you're a leader, what you teach. The two things are inextricably linked together. And you need to watch both of them. Sadly, over the many years I've lived and been in ministry, I've known times when Christian leaders have suddenly announced that they've changed what they believe. They've departed from the faith. And you know, I'll say to my wife, I wouldn't say it publicly, but I'll say to my wife, I wonder how his marriage is doing. You wouldn't believe the number of times that happens and this person's changed his views and he's also changing his wife. I mean, the two things are linked closely together. And Paul cites his own example as a leader. He says, while I was in Ephesus, you saw how I lived among you 24-7, three years. And what you heard from me and what you saw in my life and what you heard from me was the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. Now, these words apply to all Christians. All of us, if you are followed of Jesus, watch your life and watch your doctrine. Watch how you live and what you believe. But they are specifically here applied to those in leadership. Because if they get it wrong, then those they lead will also get it wrong. It is difficult, if not impossible, for a church to rise above the level of its leadership. To rise above the level of its leadership. So this is dressed specifically to leaders in a church by whatever label they're called. We'll come to that in a moment. Watch how you live and what you believe. A.W. Tozer was a, a great American pastor. You would hate me saying he was a great American pastor, but his writings and influence are considerable. Here's what he writes. Listen carefully. Do you know, he says, who gives me the most trouble? 
you know who I pray for the most in my pastoral work, just myself. Because he knows if he gets it wrong, if you're a leader, watch yourself. Interesting, you know in this war between Ukraine and Russia, what the Ukrainians are doing? They're targeting leading Russian generals, taking them out. Why? Because they're leaders. Get the leaders. You'll get the followers. So what if you're not a leader in the church? Well, you still need to watch your life and doctrine, but you need to watch and be careful which leaders you follow and whatever church system of church government you follow, you need to watch what leaders you follow and what leaders you appoint. One more important thing to note before we move on from this warning. Notice what Paul says. He says, watch yourselves. He uses the plural. Watch yourselves, not watch yourself. Whenever Paul, as we've studied the book of Acts and in the New Testament, whenever a church is planted, leaders, plural, are appointed. Being a sole leader in any organization is not a good thing. Being a sole leader in a church, take it from me, is dangerous. It's dangerous for the leader. It's dangerous for those that he leads. Because the potential for abuse is enormous. Who pastors the pastor? Alone, you are vulnerable and in danger. Alone, your followers, your church is in danger. And the safeguard is the plurality, what's called the plurality of leaders. For they are accountable also to one another, to watch one another, to watch out for one another, to speak the truth in love to one another, especially to warn one another when they spot one another maybe going wrong in some way. The book of Proverbs, Proverbs 27 verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You need that protection. So here's the first warning, watch yourselves. It's closely linked with the second. Look at the text. Verse 28, watch over the flock. Keep watch over, the, over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God which you bought with his own blood. So far, I've used the word leaders to describe those whom Paul is addressing in his speech. However, there are three different terms used in this section to describe Christian leaders. Three different terms to describe them. Here they are, and I've borrowed this from some church's website. I hope they won't mind. Elder, overseer, and shepherd. The first word is elder. If you look back in the text in verse 17, from Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. The word elder, like the English word, simply means older and hopefully more experienced and hopefully, though sadly not inevitably, more mature as you get older. And so merits respect can make wise decisions. So here's, an, here's another Greek word. We're getting a bit of Greek, but you'll understand why. The Greek word is presbyteros, all right, from which we get Presbyterian. And it's used in churches like the Scot Church of Scotland or the Free Church that have elders that rule the church, that lead the church. Paul used the second term in verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The word for overseers, you're learning a lot this morning, the word for an overseer is episkopos, which is a Greek word, epi, over, skopos, look, means to look over, to take care of and manage. And it's translated sometimes by the related English word, if you think about it, episkopos, bishop, 
All right? The two words are linguistically related. Okay? So churches like the Church of England and the Scottish Episcopal Church are led by bishops. Not at a local level these days, but leading over a group of churches. But the word originally referred just to single congregations that were led by episcopos. Poi is the plural. All right? But there's a third term which is closely connected with the overseer, which is shepherds. He says, be shepherds of the flock. And this is sometimes translated by the English word through Latin. We're getting a lot of language today, so who had this? The word pastor. All right? So the shepherd was a familiar figure in first century when Paul used it. It goes way back. If you know the Bible, you know that David, Israel's greatest king, started his life as the youngest in the family as a shepherd boy. And he memorably referred to the Lord. Psalm 23, if you don't know any other part of the Bible, you probably know. Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. So the elders, let's get this clear, the elders are also overseers who oversee the flock as shepherds, caring for its welfare, leading, guiding, providing, and as we'll see in a moment, protecting from danger. All three terms refer to the same role. Now, we may have an idealist picture of what sheep are like, warm, fluffy creatures that you can hold and cuddle in your arms. But sheep in the first century and the 21st were not really like that. John Stott, a pastor for many years, comments, they are dirty, subject to unpleasant pests. They are also unintelligible, wayward and obstinate. I hate to apply the metaphor too closely and characterize the people of God as dirty, lousy or stupid, but some people are a great trial to their pastors and vice versa. Mm. So why persist with them? Why persist with them? Simply because, as Paul reminds these Ephesian shepherds, they are, she, these sheep are precious to God because he bought them with his own blood, the blood of his son. And they're entrusted to the care of shepherds who are appointed ultimately by the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are involved in the work of shepherding. They're precious. You are precious. If you've been bought with a price, if you belong to Christ, you are precious to God. And let me say to those who are elders, believe me, there will be times when you think, why should... There are many times when it's greatly enriching to be blessed by God's people. Let's be honest, there are times when it's deeply frustrating. I simply say to you, just remember... You and they have been bought with a price. You are precious to God. And what about those who are members of the flock? Well, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews, New Testament, tells us what we should do. Let me leave this with you. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep, keep, what, they keep watch over you as those who will have to give an account. Your leaders will have to give an account. I've been a leader for many years. I'll have to give an account to God of how I looked after God's people. That's a sobering thought. So I need your prayers. And our elders here in this church need your prayers. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Okay, warning one, watch yourselves. Warning two, watch over the flock. Time is going. Warning three, watch out for wolves. Savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, so be on your guard. The specific role of the shepherd that Paul is talking about here is that of protection from danger, from people who want to exploit and destroy the flock. And the picture he uses to describe such people is that of the wolf. 
nice picture of a wolf somewhere. It's coming up on the screen. There you go. A dangerous predator that hunts alone or in packs. They are described as savage wolves, ruthless and uncaring, sparing none of the flock, seeking to scatter the flock and to destroy it. Jesus used the same picture himself. He described himself as the good shepherd and contrasts himself with those who are just hired hands, who aren't really interested in the welfare of the flock. But as well as savage wolves, there are also subtle wolves. And here's a nice picture of a a subtle wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what Jesus said, Matthew 7, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ferocious wolves. And Paul says they'll emerge. He says to these elders, they will emerge from within the church and even from among your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to, in order to draw away disciples after them. The tactic they use, notice the tactic they use. They do not enter the church and say, today, friends, I'm going to teach you a heresy. They will teach a truth, but distort and twist it, overemphasize it, or neglect certain truths. And their aim is to draw a following after them. Any church is a breeding ground for people who want power. It really is. Those who want to promote themselves, assert themselves over others and shepherds, need to be on their guard to spot their charge, spot and charge them and stop them. Now, you don't need a PhD in church history to see how this has happened over the years. With the emergence of whole movements by such people. And anyone who's been a Christian for any length of time will have seen and experienced something like this. And the solution for an increasing number of people is to give up on church and churches. I know, sadly, of those who have done that, and I remember them and think and pray for them. I see them on Facebook sometimes, and I think, that person, think of one family in particular, they used to walk with Christ, they used to be my brother and sister, they no longer worship at all anywhere. It's a painful thing. It's a source of great emotion. See, the tears of Paul and these leaders together. But I want to say, if you're in that category this morning, and I don't know, increasingly I don't know everyone here, if you're in that category, it is no answer to leave the flock, to give up on church. For guess what? Who do wolves attack? Sheep that are isolated from the flock. You are vulnerable. So let me issue a challenge. Maybe you've been hurt in the past. And you were determined never to get in that same situation again. But you need the local church, and the local church needs you. So if you're Christian and don't belong, and you've been coming to Hope City, then you have an ideal opportunity this morning. After this service is over, I think you get coffee with it already, do you? Yes, Matt's breaking down. Any cakes? Yes, yes, cakes as well. After this, 45 minutes... Start to take some first steps to belong if Hope City is the church for you. And if it is not the church for you, then stop coming. Find the church where you should be and where you can use the gifts that God has given you. And if you're not a Christian this morning, Jesus, the good shepherd, laid down his life for you. Shed his blood. Why? So that you could belong to him and be part of his people.
to bring you into his family, into his flock. So knowing he'll never see them again, Paul issues these warnings. Watch yourselves. Watch over the flock. Watch out for wolves. But he doesn't end, and I don't want to end with a warning, but with a final promise. After all the warnings, yes, here's the promise. Look at it. It's a wonderful verse. I could spend another hour talking about it, but I won't. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified by faith. What is his promise? It's his promise of God's grace. You may be a leader and think, how can I possibly do these things? I'm not up to it. You may be a Christian and think, I'm not doing very well. How am I ever going to make it? Only by grace. You were saved by grace. You were sustained by grace. And he says you will ultimately, you will be built up by grace and ultimately you will receive an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Declared right with God. That is the final promise when we heed the warnings. Then he concludes with these final words about his personal time in Ephesus. I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions in everything I did. I showed you that by this kind of hard work we must help the weak, remembering the words the Lord Jesus himself said, the only words of Jesus that are recorded outside of the four Gospels. It is more blessed to give than receive. And I kind of puzzle a bit this week about why does he say this here? He's already given his personal test. Why does he say this here? Let me, let me make a suggestion. I think he says it here because he's focusing on the inheritance they will receive at the end of the race, not on material things. Material things are secondary when your priority is on your eternal inheritance. You see, Jesus himself said, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Every leader faces the same three big challenge. Power, sex, money. I was fascinated to see, and our Nigerian friends can tell me, some of the richest people in Nigeria are pastors. The ten, ten richest people in Nigeria. Can I, I, I don't know who my teachers are, my brothers, but I think a very wealthy pastor is at best a cause for concern and at worst a contradiction in terms. And this, situation, this story, we, we end with the moving scene. Paul embraces, the picture of Paul is this heartless sort of ruthless guy, you know, top theologian. Here's a guy who kneels on the beach with his with his leaders, and they embrace, but literally in Greek, they fall on each other's necks, and they weep as they kneel on the sand, as he prepares to onboard the ship, and they pray together. It's deeply emotional. This, this past month, I've attended two Thanksgiving services for, for men who were members of my previous church, where I served for 17 years. Each of them had served the Lord faithfully, and really faithfully, each of them for over 60 years each. And th these kind of services, you know, here's a, back in my Bible, here's a service sheet for one of them. These services are deeply emotional. You see, belonging to the church, it's not like belonging to a club or a society. It's belonging to a family, and parting is deeply emotional. But the Apostle Paul says in another of his letters, so we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. That's the difference. They are missed. 
but they joyfully receive their inheritance. And so we grieve in hope, certain of that final reuniting with them and all those who've died in Christ. So I conclude by saying, I hope that's your hope and your certainty. It's an awful thing to die friendless. It's an even sadder thing to die churchless. Our hope is in Christ and the eternal inheritance we'll receive. Let's pause for a moment in prayer and then John's going to lead us in a song. Gracious God, we thank you for your son, the good shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep. Thank you for those of us who belong to you that we've been bought with a price. Bought with a price. And so we pray that we might glorify you in our lives, with our bodies, our minds, our will, emotion. We pray, Lord, and thank you for those who've appointed to be leaders in this local church. We pray for them and their wives and families that you'll protect them and help them to God their lives and this flock you've entrusted to them, especially as it grows. Protect us from the evil one. Protect us from wolves who would come in and destroy the flock. And keep our minds focused on that eternal hope that is ours in Christ, that inheritance. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. John, over to you.